Welcome to Africa on Focus, where we share our success stories. Africa, the continent, the young diaspora, entrepreneurs, influencers, change makers, and so much more. I'm Miss Abba, and this is Africa on Focus, the podcast. Uh, to your corporate journey, and also not just what it's like, but really uh, uh, the whole experience of working for the continent, in between the continent, making a change for Africa. Because I think that this lockdown series is really taking it on there, whether it be Pan-African movement or, you know, anything of that. And uh, she is a multi-talent, a film producer and a people development business partner at Uber. And having an inspiring record of helping large corporations strategize, uh, she also holds a creative portfolio in film production. And she is going to join us now as we talk uh, with our super creative on what it takes to build your career journey strategically and creatively, and also finding out what she's doing on uh, wherever you are in this virtual world. <laughs> give me a round of applause for uh, Boozy Zizani. Boozy, how are you doing? Hello, hello, hello. Hello, uh, hello, hello, hello. I look a mess, actually. That's what I just realized. <laughs> the ha- it's- the head wrap makes all you know it puts it all together and lets it all make sense so not so much to worry (laughs) it's washed it you know how it is i i I love it i love it i'm coming authentically me today and very excited to be with you all hi donnie hi how are you doing thanks so much for making up some time i know that uh you have uh, your schedule your tight schedule today but it's uh, really <laughs> pleased to have you joining in the the conversation. How is your yeah. Sunday today? Um, I'm I'm actually studying at the moment, so I spent my Sunday uh, pretty much cooking and studying, and then oh, I wow. went for a little walk just to get some air and sun. And now I'm back with you, so you know, awesome, <laughs> awesome. And it seems that uh, the weather always is, a busy uh, day. Yeah. And it and it seems that the weather is getting back on its you know on its happy and warm warm position. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah, very happy with that. Uh, as an African living in the Netherlands, oh. uh, a sunny day is always welcome. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> super. Um, so uh, Boozy, I I I had to get you on this show because we met uh, before you know at the Ghanaian Dream where um, mm-hmm. the time was so short and you 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 shared just <laughs> so much information on you being this, I call it being a global African <laughs> and, and your work experience and not just um, letting your story be focused on just working at a particular company, but, you know, doing so much more. And um, I really love that. So we're, we're going to talk about that in a bit. I know you as a lady of many traits, but for anybody out there who uh, might not know you yet, how would you best describe Boozy Cezani? Um, It's a very interesting question because I always sort of um, define myself differently depending on the context that I'm in and the target right. audience that I have because... I have, I'm like a serial innovator, serial creative, serial entrepreneur. I've lived many lives and I have tried many things. Yeah. Uh, hopefully so that other people don't have to, I can share the lessons uh, and then they don't have to bump, <laughs> bump their heads where I bump my head. But I really, um, I think that the main thing about me is really 
um, I have sort of this fierce focus on creating diverse and inclusive workspaces. Um, mm -hmm. This has been my world for the last five years um, at Uber, really focusing on people development. Um, and even when I look back at sort of my creative journey, right, as a marketer, as a film producer, as yeah. a director, as anything I've been, I've always been that one thing, which is yeah. uh, advocating for inclusion in every space that I'm in. So if you want to give me a definition, um, that would be the one that I think best suits me and has suited me throughout my career. Yeah, I love that. It it, it really um, uh, what that tells me is that no matter where you are in the world, no matter where they would position you, uh, that mission would would always come together as to um, as to that which you explained. Just simple, you know. Excellent whether that word being choice told. as well. Mission. <laughs> Your it, mission it is yeah. for me. It's a mission. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And how is it, you know, how is it for you to be able to define that? Because a lot of people still, even in whatever position that they have, find it difficult. Yeah. You know, when, yeah. when did it happen for you, for you in, in your journey? Yeah. It's very interesting that I think I shared my story this week um, doing a talk for Women Who Code in Bulgaria. Um, and what I, as I was going through that process of sort of defining what my talk was going to be about, I was focusing on authenticity and inclusion. I realized that for me, the spark happened very early on, um, mm -hmm. very much um, as a young person, even in the spaces that I occupied as a young black girl in South Africa, my social context almost defined this, this duty and this mission for me. Yeah. Um, whether it was in school, I was all, always sort of the only or one of few, mm -hmm. something, right. people of color, women, uh, whatever definition, yeah. right? Um, I, I was always very much in the minority and I found that unacceptable just as a general sort of starting point. Um, but I do think very much in my broadcast career as a sports broadcaster, that's when really it magnified for me. I was in an all-male environment um, and I was producer for live broadcasts and sports. So an all-male yeah. world, <laughs> essentially, right? Sports, broadcast, live broadcast. I know. And that, right? Yeah. Um, and every day was an experience for me like little things were magnified there were no female toilets where i worked right like in the space like the, just that basic thing right because it just never occurred to them that a female might ever occupy that space so yeah. you know there was never a need for a female bathroom to exist yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the world when I worked in cricket as a sports uh, broadcaster and live uh, broadcast producer, that's when it really became clear to me that it had to be intentional. It had to be something that I walk in the door and I say, this is who I am. This is what I do. And I yeah. won't accept anything less. That's the standard that I set for myself in whatever environment that I'm in. Um, and that was very, very interesting because I had to co-opt male, mostly white uh, allies to make that happen. Um, and mm -hmm. it, it's, I think that would be the place where it all began for me yeah. um, in a very real, in a very real professional setting outside of school, being a rebel in high school or, you know, challenging the status quo in university uh, in a professional sense, I really became a diversity and inclusion um, ally and I, I like to think professional 
really in that world because I learned the language. I understood what it is that I needed to ask for, advocate mm-hmm. for, um, and, and create so that the next female that comes into that space didn't have to face the same challenges that I did. Mm-hmm. Love that. And um, wh- so where was this? Because because we, you know, we yes. hear uh, the minority <laughs> everywhere you go. People are probably wondering like, okay, where in the where world did this particularly <laughs> Yeah, so that's probably a good way to, uh, I try to uh, define myself in many different ways, like I said before, but I am a South African and, and that's a very unique place to grow up. Yeah. I'm also not a born free right? So in South Africa, there's a generation of people we call the born freeze. So these are people that were born after 1991, after the country was um, in legally racially equal. Um, and so I, I was born in the 80s. So I kind of had the experience of uh, living in a world that didn't have space for me, <laughs> really, and didn't really care for me in certain spaces. And I had the experience of being in a world that embraced my diversity, embraced my perspectives and my opinions. So I lived in South Africa for most of my life. um, And I started working in cricket broadcast while I was still in university. I was Mm -hmm. working actually as a presenter of a basketball show at first, um, (laughs) which is, yeah. Like everyone who knows me (laughs) laughs at this because they all know I have two left feet. I've never mm. been good at sport, but there I was, right, <laughs> presenting a sports TV show. <laughs> um, and, and so I kind of got introduced to the world of broadcast that way um, mm-hmm. and started working there. And this is sort of, you know, a good 14, 15 years ago now. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, and sort of in that world, that's when in South Africa, and I mean, if, if you know anything about South African history, you know that we were one of the last countries to actually have racial equality in the world, right? Um, And so this is the space that I was growing up in and becoming in. Yeah, that is, um, it's it's kind of, uh, isn't it some way because you you mentioned that, you know, um, broadcasting for cricket and then from basketball, it was predominantly white. Um, I'm I'm just wondering, does does it feel the same as it would be here? you living here now in in Amsterdam yeah yeah it is it's actually very interesting because uh I had expectations I'm a South African uh we learn about Jan van Riebeek very early on yeah Um, and I and I had a I had an expectation about what living in the Netherlands would be I had traveled to Amsterdam you know as in my in my little late teens early 20s yeah uh, just came in and out met my sister and I in and out partied never really had the experience and what I what was very interesting for me living in Amsterdam was that I expected uh, a lot more diversity just kind of walking the streets and when I got here I just didn't see that right Uh, even though my world is very much in that tech bubble. And this is, these are companies, these are multinational companies that hire people from all over the world. And so you experience a level of diversity there. But as a black South African, you're used to a black world. And so what you mean by diversity is lots of black people around. (laughs) It's it's not enough to have other types of diversity. You expect brothers. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) And I just wasn't seeing that in my day-to-day experience. Mm-hmm. 
until mm-hmm. I had to do my get my hair done. <laughs> and then Where? in Amsterdam. Yeah. I ended up in Demon. Um, <laughs> somebody told me there was somebody there who could like handle the snaps. <laughs> I was like, okay, let me go check it out, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and I, it felt like stepping into a totally different type of world because it felt there, it felt more like the type of diversity I was used to growing up. Uh, I saw people that looked like me. Uh, the music I was seeing was different. The type of shops that were around were different from what I was yeah. experiencing living in, in the center or in the ring in Amsterdam, right? Um, so oh. <laughs> it's it's different, but I, I it's it's similar because very, in mm. South Africa it's very much like that, right? That mm. in the center of the city is yeah. this special sort of uh, privileged group of people who happen to not look like us for the most part, even in South Africa. And then in the fringes of the city, you mm. find people that look like me, um, yeah. and that was sad to see, but. As, it kind of gave me a little bit more of a connection to home. I won't lie, in the first couple of weeks I was here. Right. And did, did the hair appointment turn out? <laughs> how, how did it go? <laughs> it was very bad. It was very bad. I'm also learning about the diversity of Black, right, uh, which is very interesting. That my, my, my special kind of kink isn't necessarily the specialty. <laughs> so I have to travel wow. to Paris now to do my hair. To go to the it's crazy, right? I have I to go to the there to like to get my hair together. Otherwise, I have to do it at home. Ah, uh, I can't oh, I, even I can, imagine. I can hook you up. <laughs> Thank you, Donnie. I would appreciate that. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you went. You went to Demon. Demon is not the place for, uh, <laughs> like, you know, that's not where black, black, black people are. Like nappy, nappy. A friend of a friend told me to go there, and I was like, okay, cool. See, we need a little black talk for these things. Look at that. To Kreines, Hansenhof, Hollendrecht. Oh, we will take you to places to get that. Thank you. Thank you. That that's by the way, that's a good business opportunity, right? You have this black book for anybody traveling. You know where you could find. What else do we need? Is it hair appointments? food uh some of our spices right spices. oh my mom has to send them to me because i'm like the food is bland i'm dying out here <laughs> oh. and, and what about your ingredients other than spices do you still find like similar agree- ingredients like in south africa um, i found a good butcher now so you know who who cuts all the kinds the cuts of meat not just the premium cuts because right. I need the stuff on the inside. You know how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need the hooves. I need the, the, the cheeks. I need the stuff on the inside. Yeah, <laughs> I found a good picture, um, and oh, that's yeah. been really great. Um, and then, to be honest, I travel so much for work. I'm in London a lot. I'm in. Uh, I'm back home in South Africa a lot, so I, I often bring things back. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So you you kind of you know where to go, and then you know you you bring your appetite from home, and then you take on the things that you can get here in the environment to create that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 been actually a very ex- interesting experience because you know I've been I've been traveling a long time. I've been to 
tons of countries, like I'm almost at a hundred countries, right? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. but that's just travel for vacation mm-hmm. purposes or for for leisure, maybe a little business trip. This yeah. is the very first time I'm actually an immigrant. I'm actually mm-hmm. living abroad. Mm-hmm. This is the first time in my life, just in the last two years. So it, it, it's very different from going to a place for two weeks. You can do without your spices or without your good conditioner for two, three weeks or even three sure. months. Uh, but when you're now like settling in and setting roots, you're like, uh, <laughs> wait, <Yeah. laughs> I need yeah. to have my chili now. <laughs> I need my exactly. real pump of oils now, you know. Mm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, in the meantime, uh, for those of you who just tuned in, I have a lot of people uh, that are tuning in uh from all of our pages, uh, John Royal, the producer, the CEO of uh, High Radio. Thank you for also joining in and uh, sharing our talk with uh, Boosie Zizani. I always get like this warm feel as in like Boosie Zizani. Haven't you heard like that's like a good brand name? It's so strange because, you know, my first name is Abu Sisiwa Mandoma Zanasema Oh, wow. Um, and, and so for many years, that's my first name. <laughs> I'm Kosa. You know, we, we, yeah. we have, we're big on names and the naming ceremony, what's, and it's very important. Yeah. So what's the meaning of the name? So it's uh, like so kind of, a, it's a story, right? It's a story. Oh. And so my right. name means blessed are the girls or the women of the Gwecha clan. Mm-hmm. Um, and for this edition, right? Mm-hmm. So, and the important thing about that is that uh, I'm the firstborn daughter in my family. And amongst right. the Kosa people, the firstborn girl, it holds mm-hmm. the highest regard, right? Mm-hmm. Literally the word given to them is mafungwashe, which means the one you swear by. It's right. the person that who holds the family together. And so when a girl is born, uh, you know, mm-hmm. my culture is very matriarchal. And uh, when, a, when a girl is born, your firstborn girl, as a, as a father, that's your pride and joy. Um, right. As a mother, this is, this is it, right? Uh, this mm-hmm. is the mother. So it's, it's a very big meaning. And my grandmother was, my grandmothers were involved in naming me. Yeah. Um, and it felt like a major compromise to cut that name down to just four letters so that yeah, it could yeah. be more accessible to more people. And so, right, right, right. you know, throughout my high school career, I really didn't like it. I didn't like being called Lucy. Um, yeah. I felt like I was cheating. I felt like I was giving something up. Um, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it has probably been only in the last maybe 10, 15 years. I've been like, oh, okay, we can go with this. Lucy, Lucy Suzanne. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and what about your last name? Has that also been, let's say, fine-tuned in, in that no. sense? No, my 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 last name Sizani. Um, we are very very a niche um, surname. So if I meet another Sizani, I know we're related. <laughs> like one hundred right. Like we have to be related because there's right. very few Sizanis in the world. Um, so okay. yeah, right. I I, I love that. Yeah, Mensa Gary is also saying that interesting meaning, and that's also what I love about. Um, I know Africa is not a is not a country; it doesn't go for every African nation. But what we do have is that you know we do things even when naming things, we do it with meaning. It 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 carries something; it carries weight. And yours, mm-hmm. yours just carries weight. It has a whole story to it. It has this, you know, it carries. 
substance (laughs) yeah culture and it's so rich absolutely now i i would need time on learning the whole name but (laughs) i i I really love how you how you also felt that you know shortening it wasn't really your thing you know what i mean um how how was how was it uh, where where was it shortened for was it to fit the corporate world how 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 did that happen um, so I went to a high school, which was actually a primary school, which was all white. Um, I was one yeah. of two black people in the entire primary school. And in South Africa? They, in South Africa. Wow. And so they took the two blacks and they put them in two separate classes. Mm-hmm. So so we wouldn't cause a riot or something crazy while we were oh. nine years old. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. So, you know, as I was saying, like, I, I lived through these two worlds. I would never go as far as to say that I lived the experience of my parents' generation, right, in apartheid South Africa, where they they lived. It's a lived experience to be in a racially segregated world. But right. I was, I was like, awakening. My, my consciousness was awakening in a world that was trying to transition out of racial inequality to uh, you know, to to racial acceptance, to quote unquote the rainbow nation, um, and yeah. so I was one of those first groups of uh, people of color to be to go into these traditionally all white schools, and so that was pretty much the uh, the first time, and my name got cut from Abu Sisiu Amandomba Zanasemakwechin to Busisiu, which was like. You know, my dad like lamented that. He's like, why? <laughs> right, why? <laughs> uh, probably less so than me, because on a day-to-day basis, people weren't saying all 33 letters of that beautiful symphony. So I was being called Musisiwa on a day-to-day basis, right? At home. So for me, it didn't seem like a big deal. I think Musi came about a little bit later on, sort of high school into early university. And it was because the W in my name, the Musisi, where it has a W-E at the end, was being pronounced as a V sound, which is very Dutch or Afrikaans. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, why would you do that? Like, you've heard me say my name. Like, why would you do that? Um, and so it was kind of this back and forth tension. Um, and I think that I finally embraced it when people I actually liked and, and loved and cared about, like friends, would call me Busi. I was like, and Busi also has a meaning in Kosa, it means honey. So it was like this sweet thing. So it started to kind of start to feel a bit more like home, mm-hmm. probably in the um, sort of last year or two of high school into early university. Right. Um, and then I started to embrace it then. Ah, okay. So on your passport, does it also say Busi or does it still say the whole name, full name? Mm-hmm. No, so passports, IDs, everything. Because in South Africa, when you write your uh, final high school exams, you have mm-hmm. to have an ID to do that. So when mm-hmm. I made my ID, I made it with the name Busisiwe. So Busisiwe. sort of the second, the shortening. So everything is just Busisiwe. Right. That is that is a really surprising and and interesting story uh, of your name. Um, speaking of stories, you're also a film producer. <laughs> um, how, how did that come up? Because um, you have done 
incredible work. You have a film that's out there, renowned, mm -hmm. uh, awarded, showcased on, on international platforms. How did that come up and how do you even do it with your, your current job at Uber? So yeah. many things. <laughs> so I made the film Ayanda as it was for me, I told you earlier on that I kind of have many lives that I like, and it's, for me, it's very normal, but I've, Mm -hmm. understood over the years that this kind of constant reinvention is not something that a lot of people embrace but that's yeah it. and so I had been in broadcast and production for a number of years um about sort of eight eight not eight nine years and I wanted to uh to pivot into a more corporate space mm -hmm. but I wanted to mark that moment if that makes sense. Like the transition for me was like an important time, an important moment for me, making a choice to right. move out of broadcast production into another world. And yeah. of course, when you're in broadcast, whether you are a runner or you are a producer or you're a director, the pinnacle mm -hmm. of the production world is film, right? right. Um, and I had worked in sort of magazine shows, edutainment, documentaries. I had done, you know, a lot of different genres of broadcast, but never film. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to make sure that at some, I was like, well, I'll know this is the end of this era mm -hmm. when I make a film that will cap it for me and end it for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had, at that point, I had just finished doing the 2010 FIFA World Cup. I uh, was one of the of the producers. Um, it was an amazing experience, really the the pinnacle. Like I, I literally said to my manager at the time, are we going to do the Olympics? Because if we're not, then I need to move on because it doesn't get bigger, right? Then yeah. This was in South Africa, right? Yeah. This was in South Africa in 2010, exactly. In 2010. Um, I decided to move away. Uh, so, so at that point, he was like, well, there's no prospect of us doing the Olympics. Um, and so I decided, okay, I'm going to head out and start my own thing. <clears throat> and I really want to focus on bringing my experience and knowledge of having been in broadcast and branded content, having worked with every brand you can imagine, obviously FIFA World Cup, you can imagine some of the biggest brands in the world yeah. and convincing them to commercially invest in our content. I was like, I know how to do this. Mm -hmm. um, I want to run a business that helps young filmmakers, independent filmmakers that don't have the backing of a massive commercial engine yeah. to actually get content made through the backing of the brand. So I'm going to help them get money to make whatever content they want to make. Yeah. I was like, I can raise money. That's what I know how to do. I can do it really well. I have done it so many times for many different types of pro programs that I had produced. Yeah. That's what I'm focused on. Um, and I didn't have film as a particular uh, idea in that moment, but I knew that it was a goal because mm -hmm. I was like, when I end this journey, I want to end it with a film. And the very first thing that hit my desk was a film. Very first thing. Mm -hmm. It was a script called Ayanda and everything about it resonated with me. It nice. was an all-female story. It really centered around a, a mother and daughter relationship lamenting mm -hmm. the loss of a father and trying to figure out her space and her perspective in the world. How was she going to live without her father and, and with her mother who was really struggling to let go of the past? 
Um, and she was really trying to reinvent herself. And Ayanda was such a beautiful story to me. Like when I read it, I was like, this has to be written by a woman because it had the sensibility of sort of the female perspective. And it was yeah. written by Trish Malone. She was female. Yeah. Uh, the director of the film, Sarah Bletcher, female. And they had come to me to help them raise the last million rand that they needed to make the movie. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'll do it on one condition, an all-female producing team. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. So we made Ayanda, two female producers, female director, female writer, female leads uh, in South Africa, which is tough yeah. to do. <clears throat> but we made it. And not only did that narrative really resonate with South Africa, it resonated internationally. The person who bought our distribution rights, the very first person, Ava DuVernay. And I was like, okay, <laughs> we're done. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. And to me, wow. that really felt like capturing everything that I wanted to do with my production career, everything, everything I wanted to be. Um, as a female within production, the impact that I wanted to make, it was encapsulated in that movie. And that's how it came about. And uh, I'm very proud of it. I can imagine. I, I'm even proud of it. I wasn't even part of the team, but I'm proud of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that's exactly the feeling I wanted it to. I, it really, I wanted it to be a story that people immediately go. In fact, the, the girl that we cast for the, the lead role, she had never done a movie before. And that was one of the only battles I fought creatively. I was yeah. like, I need to see a female face no one has seen before. I need a young girl that is new. I want to bring a new thing. I, I was co-producing with Terry Petto, who was in an Oscar-winning film um, and was that female face. And we agreed that this is the impact we wanted to make. And we fought very hard for that because there were famous female actresses that wanted this movie um, yeah. that could have brought us that clout right because we were unknowns as producers um, yeah. and they would have brought us that, that clout and we're like we're not interested in clout we're interested in impact so we want a fresh face yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. you're really specific on what you wanted to uh, to create with this uh, work to put together with this film yeah. and uh, you you persisted and basically made it made it happen um, not just that, because I know it premiered at the Cannes Marche du Film um, yes. and and also showed at uh, LA and Italian Film Festivals, yes. uh, which is amazing. Um, yes. And it's distributed on Netflix by yes. Ava DuVernay that you, uh, uh, which you just refer to. Yeah, it's, it's that... no longer Netflix, but uh, Ava brought it to Netflix through her company, right. Array Now. And, and Array is just a wonderful production house that she owns. She's one of the few female directors. She directed Salma, uh, a, a, an yeah. Oscar-nominated film. I mean, yeah. she is she is the business, right? She's mm -hmm. she's who you want to um, to really recognize your work as a storyteller. Um, and the fact that you recognize our story was just amazing. And of course, you know, being at Cannes, being at LA Film Festival, being at Italy Film Festival, and having people react so positively to the story was everything. Yeah. 
I can, I can definitely imagine uh, that. And for those of you who uh, just tuned in, thank you so much for uh, tuning into our lockdown specials, uh, which is here, Africa Unfocused on High Radio. And uh, we're about to enter our last couple of minutes as we're talking to Boozy Cezani uh, that just uh, made some time for us in our busy schedule because I know she's on her studies uh, to talk uh, to us <laughs> about her creative journey, being this, uh, being a global African, uh, working both on the continent, working here in the city of Amsterdam, often traveling and so forth. Um, so if you want to slip some questions here and there, make sure that you grab your opportunity to ask her some questions uh, before we uh, even round up our conversation. No time is enough uh, just to even pick out what goes into, into the mind of this creative, uh, uh, creative woman. Uh, shout out to Esther Dankwa, who just uh, joined in, and also Mensa Gary. Uh, Thompson Tutu saying, bless you, bless you, all back at you. And uh, Mensa oh, Gary, uh, Mensa Gary is even asking, you know what, uh, he loves your name so much. He says, are there any boy name suggestions for me when I have my firstborn as a boy? What could he give? He's a Ghanaian. And one thing I have noticed is that a lot of us global Africans are really gravitating to South African names. Not not South African is too broad to even name because I know uh, Skosa is is you know um, your the culture the tribe that you're from. But you have so many. Um, so what could you recommend <laughs> for for Gary? <laughs> That's a really, really, really difficult question. I have no aspirations of having kids, so I have no names in my mind (laughs) that have been kept or like, I just don't. Uh, But I do know that it it is a process. If I look at my parents and how they've named us, that they, it's really a process of everything you wish for and you dream for, for your child. Um, and mm. and so it's very hard for someone else to tell you what that is, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, but Ghanaian names are really great too, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that that I definitely agree. It's uh, it's uh, the South African names that have this special touch. I don't know uh, what it is, but it's uh, it's strong, it's warm, it's cultured, and I, I love it thoroughly. If you ask me. Um, just before you round up, I just I just want to know uh, inclusion because that is something that you you yeah. strive for, and also Donny, I would like to to know because I know like for Donny Donny has a thing with African women who are doing their thing. That's that's Donny's Donny's <laughs> cup of tea. <laughs> so I know if it's up to him, he would make this combo like so long. Um, mm-hmm. in, inclusion. You talked about that. What is the meaning of your focus now at Uber? in Amsterdam. I know lockdown has kept you from traveling, but what is really now at this point of time, your focus and what you're working on as a film producer on one hand and also working for Uber specifically, you know, focus black people and women. What, what, what are, what is on your to-do list now? Yeah. So I joined Uber five years ago and uh, it was really sort of post the film, um, I had kind of ended that chapter. I was really interested in joining a startup. I wanted to be in that sort of entrepreneurial spirit and world. And, yeah. and so, but I didn't apply for the role. It just kind of, somebody pinged me on LinkedIn and I was like, hey, you're interested in this. We're from this company called Uber and we think you could be an interesting ad to our marketing team. 
Right. And I was like, oh, marketing, I don't know, like I've kind of left that behind, branded marketing, but it's a yeah. startup. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Let me take the call, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I took the call and I, what I found really interesting was this mission. And we keep going back to the word that you used, Augustina, which is mission. And they yeah. had this mission around, at the time it was transportation as reliable as running water everywhere for everyone. And to me, that was like such a lofty goal. It was such a big vision in a country where running water is not even guaranteed, right? And now you're talking about transportation, you're talking about employment opportunities, you're talking about access, you're talking about connecting a country because of racial segregation had been segregated and kind of the connections were broken. And it's like, you're speaking all these things this sounds phenomenal, but I don't know if I want to do marketing, but like, let's, let's have another conversation. Yeah. So when I joined the company, I was really much more attracted to the idea of creating employment opportunities. At that point, South Africa was sitting at 29% unemployment. It was like mind boggling. I had run my own company for three years and had created exactly two full-time roles <laughs> in three years. And so I knew that I couldn't, or at least in those three years, I hadn't been able to really crack this nut of, of creating sustainable employment opportunities for people. Um, yeah. And so that was really the thing that attracted me. I wasn't really thinking right away about diversity or inclusion. Again, my context is South Africa. It's a 95% Black country. Um, yeah. I had seen specific industries that really needed to transform but this was a startup so i didn't expect that they would have those types of issues until i signed on the dotted line and walked in the door and i was black employee number one that Mm. just blew my mind i was like how is that a thing how am i the only black person here (laughs) what's going on we're in south africa we literally are just down the street like everybody and and to me that sparked this idea of like okay um this isn't top of mind for everybody. Mm-hmm. And when, when you think that it's going to happen yeah. naturally and you're not intentional about creating about diversity and you're not intentional about creating an inclusive environment where diverse talent wants to be, mm-hmm. you're always going to lose the battle. It's always yeah. going to target to the most privileged part of the society. Yeah. And so I made it my job. It wasn't my job. That's not what I was hot for, <laughs> but I made it my job, literally yeah. from day one. Um, I made it my mission and I felt a sense of duty around creating di- both uh, diverse teams. And so I was very clear that how I was going to hire my teams, how I thought about bringing diversity into every space, diverse opinions, diverse ways of thinking. Um, to me, that was very, very mm-hmm. important. And so I think like my transition from then in, from a purely commerce role, because I ended up in a purely commerce role in business development and, uh, and, and yeah. sort of partnerships, um, I infused the lens into everything that I did, right? Um, and, and that caught the attention of my managers. It's like, so, but why? Why is that important? And so we started this narrative at Uber around the business case for diversity. Uh, I started to do a lot more research. Uh, As a company, we started to really mature in terms of our perspective around diversity. And what we know now, which 
has actually been the case for a very long time, but it needed the, the rigor of academic research and actually case studies being brought to the table. We know that diverse teams outperform homogenous teams every time. So if you want to win, you want to be the best, you want to be a high-performing organization, you've got to be diverse. It's not even a question. But in order to retain that diverse talent, which becomes incredibly competitive, right? And every company wants the unfair share of that diverse talent. You've got to create an inclusive environment where every single person has an equal opportunity to thrive and succeed. Um, and so my role was kind of created by a perspective and a belief yeah. um, that came from sort of the environment that I was in, the, the family I came from, um, and what I've since realized is that diversity and inclusion is a profession and a thread that has existed for a long time. I just didn't have the words for it. I just yeah. didn't know that that's what it was called. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mm-hmm. have the role, uh, right? I didn't know the job title that existed, but I had yeah. the philosophy and the mindset and I wanted to make sure that it happened. So that's my job today. Um, I really focus on so people development, but really bringing this lens of creating diverse and inclusive teams that are high performing yeah. uh, and it's, it's been the greatest joy um, and as part of that I also am the global co-chair for Black at Uber where I specifically advocate for the um, inclusion the representation the celebration uh, of black talent so I'm also unapologetically about black <laughs> right? yeah while living as we should yeah, so as we should. Ooh, I I, I hope really that explains that. it. <laughs> I I yes, absolutely, absolutely. And be, before we we round up, uh, because I have a lot of people in my circle that you know end up at companies where they're the only black or the only African and stuff like that. What is your like your advice for for these ladies specifically and men? Um, that that deal within this company and really want that change. They live for it. They breathe for it. Um, where should they even start? What should they think about? Is there a do's and don'ts? Is there a principle to it? Could you uh, shortly elaborate yeah. on that? <laughs> the number one thing that you should make very clear from day one is that it is unacceptable for you to be the only Black. That should be just non-negotiable. For the, I remember very early on, I, you know, I was in the marketing team, but I was focusing on partnerships. So I was very much front facing, right? Uh, I was the person going to Coca-Cola, to MTN, to Vodacom, to actually uh, broker business deals for Uber. And so by virtue of me being in that room, I represented the company, right? Mm -hmm. I represented Mm -hmm. the brand and what they thought was that that meant the brand was diverse because they're looking at me and I'm a sister mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm part of the society. I'm close. I'm from the, I'm from the soil. And they're like, Oh, okay, this is what it is. Yeah. And um, I was not excited about that. For me, it's, it, it's not good enough to be the only one. Yeah. Uh, the second thing that started to happen was that I would get on my desk, in my laptop, in my emails every day. Could you have a look at this copy? Could you look at this uh, marketing image we're about to send out? Please tell me your thoughts on this. Hey, we're about to send this campaign to our driver partners. Could you have a look over? And what was inadvertently happening was that I was being made the Rosetta Stone of all things black, right? Like right. I'm the touch, like check with Lucy, and then we've got the black angle covered. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right? nice to see. 
And I, there, there is an actual email record of this where I wrote that email and I said, I am not the black Rosetta Stone. <laughs> I'm just not. Wow. I don't even represent the vast majority of black people in South Africa, right? Um, I come from yeah. quite a bit of privilege, right? Both my parents are university graduates. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've kind of been exposed, I've traveled, and like I don't represent actually the vast majority of Black South Africans who don't have the same access that I do. So, yeah. so please don't look at this and yeah. think that you've checked the box because <laughs> you have not, you have not. You have to do the work. You have to go there and actually seek out those perspectives. Yeah. So I think like by drawing that line and making it very clear that I'm not going to be your I'm not going to be your um, your one black in the room. Yeah. And number two, mm-hmm. I am uncomfortable with that role. I'm uncomfortable with Why? it. Uh, and because I, I live in a country that I should not be the only person with this access. That's not that's impossible. In a country that's 95% people of color, how am I the only person in the one of the top tech companies in the world? That makes no sense. I'm not, I'm not the smartest of everybody. I'm not, you know, it, 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 it for me just breeds the wrong kind of behavior to, to make that acceptable. Um, you know, oh, I'm special. I'm, I'm not that special. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to do the way you, you cannot be satisfied with just getting one through the door. You've got to, the, the acceptable space that I want to operate in is I want to work in a company that proportionally represents the community that it serves. Mm-hmm. That's my standard and whatever that looks mm-hmm. like. So no, I'm not expecting to be in Sweden um, and be in a boardroom that's 50% black because that's not mm-hmm. the society that is represented. But I do expect to be in South Africa and walk into a boardroom yeah. and it be at the very least 50% black, right? Because that is the society that we serve. Um, and I think that, so, so for me, if I were to say any tip, you've got to say that and make that clear, unequivocal as early as you can. Because I think that it is very comfortable for the corporate environment to say, uh, well, we haven't reached racial equity, but we got Boosie. We haven't reached gender equity, but we got we got Sally. Yeah, it, it, that's a comfortable thing to have this token that lulls the mind and makes the corporate culture comfortable with lack of diversity. So when you don't say it, they think it's okay. Hmm. Huh. Well, it it is different if you are talking about exactly the community. If the community is, let's say, if the corporation is within a, an African community or a black community, yeah. right, then it is justified. But most of the times, um, this is a corporation that comes from was, what, Uber's headquarters. Isn't it in San Europe Francisco. or in San Francisco? San Francisco in the States, yeah. So I assume- That's not an that all white country either. <laughs> it's not an all white country either. However, what the minority groups um, only add up to 35% of the entire um, country. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, let's say um, Uber, as we've known Uber, uh, mm-hmm. speaking from someone who lives in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. like the Netherlands is predominantly white. Um, so mm-hmm. let's say their headquarters or their main community um, or their blueprint 
of servicing or an uh, ethics is is uh, is was constructed to serve the let's say white community mm -hmm. um so mm -hmm. within within those contexts and in those countries mm -hmm. um, um when looking at div diversity or looking for di um, diversity within the organi organization it's going mm -hmm. to be hard to 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 find that um mm -hmm. however mm -hmm. um, um looking at your example it's it's yeah i, I would support it 100% being that if you have, even though it's it, it could be a Chinese company, it could be a Russia company, as long as the um, the office or um, is in Africa or in Ghana or in Accra, mm -hmm. servicing Ghanaian people um, mm -hmm. or Kumasi people or Cape Town people, then we need to see that representation of the community in the office. Otherwise, it would not make sense. Is that is that correct, Donnie? And it, it, it's uh, this is the part that I missed right when I was speaking before. It's not just representation for representation's sake. The business case is important. So here you are. You are um, you know a massive brand, Uber. What's your objective coming to South Africa? You have a business objective. You didn't just pick a country right out of random you have a business yeah. project, uh, uh, sort of imperative you want to make money right um, and to make money you need to onboard driver partners you need to build a rider base right that was kind of us at the early beginning who are those people in the demographic that you're trying to speak to right um, and I speak about race a lot because I'm South African I know that for Dutch people it's very sensitive to speak about race but race is certainly not the only uh, sort of level of diversity that we focus on, even in even at Uber, right? right? Gender, mm -hmm. race, socioeconomic, caregiver status, um, your parenting state. There's so many aspects, right, to our diversity. And so what I'm saying is that if you want to market to a group of people, um, you know, a society, a community, whatever it is, what is your business objective here? Right. And if you're trying to talk to them, but you cannot speak their language, you're not going to get very far very quickly. And so what's important is that you need to bring those perspectives into the business decision making process. And you don't do that by picking the most niche, the most privileged group and bring one of them into the room mm -hmm. and then hope that that somehow covers the perspective that you need in order to make better business decisions to sell your product and make yourself some money. Um, and so you've got to link it to a business objective. Right. If I had walked into Uber and said, there's not enough black people here and I'm uncomfortable, who cares, <laughs> right? Like, who cares? My discomfort isn't enough. But right. what was important was that I was coming in here with a, a set of experiences, a set of connections, partnerships, relationships, uh, ex expertise, that was born out of not just being in the industry, but my unique perspective and experience in the world that allowed me to be a better marketer for the audience that they wanted to reach. Um, and uh, what I was saying is I am not enough. We need to make sure we broaden those perspectives because those experiences are as unique and diverse as they are people. And the more we have them in the boardroom, the better. And so you could take that same principle to whatever context. And so race might not always be the lens, but whatever the lens is, the, whatever the perspective that you need to make better business decisions, you need to have it in the teams. You need to have it in the business.
on um, that note, we're running out of time. <laughs> yes, and, I know uh, that I had a hot stop, which I've now passed. <laughs> so I'm no, I, question, I'll, I'll be happy to. I, and it's and it's the topic as well. I mean, I even see the comment of Cecilia Evan Blake, who's saying, uh, "Is saying it enough? You are touching on a great topic. Can we do something at HR level? You know, you could really see the urge uh, of it." Um, just yeah, to pick up on yeah. that last that last question of Cecilia, do you think that you know from within companies there is something more that we could do than yeah. saying it? Yeah, I think there is definitely more, but it really depends on your position. It depends right. on your like not you. You can't just walk in and demand. <laughs> yeah, like that's just not realistic, right? That's not realistic. Yeah. Your job when you're walking in is to be excellent. That's your, that's your only job probably for a, a couple of months. It's to deliver right on what the company has brought you on today. Yeah. Right. And then when you deliver, right, you start to gain the credibility that you need to speak on more. So mm. deliver on the thing that you're supposed to do. And then you can start to speak on more. And then people will listen to you because it's like, oh, Augustina said it. That's who said it. And mm. we know that her mission is aligned to the business's objective. And so yeah. when she says it, you better listen, right? Because yeah. she's not going to say things that aren't about our business objectives. So that's mm. important. So first come in and deliver. Be excellent at mm. what you do. Be excellent. Not just good, not just okay, not just show up, but be excellent and gain that credibility. And as you move up the ranks, your voice will have more power. You will be able to question and to challenge things. You'll be building your own teams soon and build your teams and bring in the lens. I didn't build a team day one, but eventually when I did build a team, my way of doing it, the perspective yeah. that I brought in, my reasoning for diverse, uh, diverse, uh, diversity in hiring, my challenging of the status quo and the systems, I'm like, why am I getting the same CV 50 times? It's like different names, but I'm getting the same CV. I, I want to see something different. Because now yeah. I'm a hiring manager, but I didn't have that authority before. So, mm -hmm. so take the space that you're in. And you're not the CEO when you join. Unless you own your own company, you're not the CEO. So you're not going to be making big HR moves <laughs> after your first <laughs> Probably not. Right. So that's what's important, I think. It's just like really focus in on challenging uh, definitely challenge, ask the right questions, but I think first gain your credibility. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, on that note, I really believe that you have touched on so many things, um, what inclusion means, how to bring about that change, and definitely for those in the diaspora who seek to, to make that difference, uh, the Africans who might not have had that, you know, that, that, that experience that you had on, on the soil, uh, because I think for West African, you know, the experience could be quite different and for East African as well. But I love how it all comes back to uh, making that change, not just for you, you know, not just being there as the only uh, Black person and just feel like that's okay. I'm accepted, you know, I've made it, you know, and that's it. And yeah. I, I think that will impact a lot of other stories um uh as they as they 
yes, they take the effort to make that change in their company, whether that be an Uber, whether that be a Levi, or whether that be any other major companies where, you know, we Black people are also consumers of. Um, so on, yes, on that yeah. note, uh, you, you covered, <laughs> you, you touched on so much. Um, also, what we'd like to know, where could people find you online? Where could they find Boozy's Design? Could they pick up a bit of your world? Could they find it somewhere? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm terribly boring. Um, so I don't know how excited they would be to see me and my partner just traveling and eating. <laughs> That's right. really all we do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's really the best platform. Um, I try to be very, very interactive there. Uh, I'm looking to launch some more content on on LinkedIn as well. So just Moussa Suzani, you can just, I think I'm like the, the only one there um, sure. on LinkedIn. Uh, I have a private uh, Instagram account, which mm -hmm. I'm, I'm considering maybe I should just make it open. Maybe you <laughs> no. will revive it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll like rethink it and revive it. But for my Instagram and for my Twitter pages, it's yes, that boozy. Yes, um, that boozy. That boozy. Very interesting story. <laughs> I will but, definitely. Uh... <laughs> but you can, yeah. So I'm not as active on Twitter as I probably should be, but you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. And I'm hoping to be like back uh, more active on Instagram once we can travel again. <laughs> oh, the new normal, right? We're all excited to uh, to head back to the new normal. Will it be the same? Who knows? No, <laughs> <laughs> it won't. As a people development professional, this has been an exciting experiment of the future of work. So right. very excited to see how things inevitably change in the work environment after this COVID-19. But I really hope everybody's staying safe and staying connected throughout this time um, and really Absolutely. focusing on, uh, on, on yourself, right? Yeah. Like this is super important. Your um, growth, your well. vision. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I'm studying right now, you know? <laughs> I was like, hey, we're never going to get this time. I was never going to get this time. <laughs> I quiet know. focus. Let me, yeah. let me do a course. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. So uh, thank you so much for inspiring us, Boozy, um, for taking some time out on your, on your Sunday. We will be uh, following you, um, you know, on, on Twitter and on Instagram and, and, you know, often on touching base on how, how things are going. Uh, so thank you for inspiring um, people in corporate, people in business as well, and even the creatives as to, to how to go for and create their story and put things together according to vision and not just according to what everybody wants. And I, I really believe you laid that out uh, perfectly. Um, so again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and um, all, all the thank best you. for your studies this evening. And um, ha have a good night. We'll, we'll talk soon. <laughs> thank you, Augustina. This is a Stay wonderful safe. platform. I just wanted to say thank you to you for your inspiration. Um, I know when I met you, I was blown away. And I think that everything that you're doing here um, mm. is really inspirational. And please don't undermine the impact that you're making thank just you. by being yourself. You're thank really you. actually showing everybody that it can be done. Um, oh, and that they can also aspire for more. So thank you so much. Donnie, it was wonderful to chat to you as well. <laughs> Bless you both. <laughs> Have a good night. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you for listening to Africa on Focus. We air live every Sunday on High Radio from 7 p.m. Amsterdam time. 
Join the Africa Unfocused platform on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Africa Unfocused or visit www.africaunfocused.com. And follow me on all your social platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Miss Abba. Shout out to High Radio and Q Vibe for the jingle. <laughs>